You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Well, good morning again, church. It's great to see you. Man, I was thinking, we've got smoking organ. I'm pretty sure if you turn to the book of Revelation, you will find that the four horses of the apocalypse are not far behind that, right? Isn't that one of the signs of the... I could be misremembering that. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure I am. But it's good to be with you here today. And our text for this morning is going to come from the Gospel of Mark. And this is actually going to be a continuation of a mini-sermon series on the rich young ruler. This was not planned out, just FYI. I got into this and I just realized there's a lot of different themes, a lot of different stuff to tackle here. So last week, we spoke about this rich young ruler who came to Jesus saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right, Revealing kind of this transactional way of operating. What must I do in order to get something back from you? And then Jesus tells him, well, these are all the commandments. Have you obeyed these? And he says, yeah, check, check. All those boxes, check. I've done them all. I've done all the stuff. What else do you want from me? So he comes and he's very confident in his self-righteousness. And Jesus tells him, he says, look, one thing you still lack. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. But that's the one thing that this rich young ruler cannot do because the one thing required of him is empty hands. And that's the one thing he did not have. Spiritual poverty was what was required for entrance into the kingdom of God and he could not give that up. So today we're continuing with this text. And at this point, the, the, the rich young ruler, he, he goes away sad because he, he recognizes, I can't do this. So he has just left. And now Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27. And I will ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's word. Mark 10, beginning at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the promise that your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And you have a purpose here this morning for each one. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds to convict us, God, to to show us and to reveal to us our desperate need for you. And then, God, would you remind us even more than that about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, and about this good news that we so desperately need. 
God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So I'd like to begin this morning with a pop quiz. Don't worry. It's easy. We haven't studied. It's a true or false question. Money can't buy you happiness. True? Anybody say false? If you said false or if you said true, you're both wrong. That uh, I didn't tell you that there was a third option, but there is. So not too long ago, about 10, 12 years ago, there's a study done by Princeton. And what they did was they did a survey of people and they organized people's level of happiness by their average annual income. And they categorized it. And what they found was very interesting. They found that actually your happiness, by the way, happiness, the way they define it is basically how you feel on a day-to-day basis as far as your comfort, your level of security, um, very much a kind of a are you feeling at peace in this moment kind of thing. They found that that actually did increase proportionally with your average annual income, but only to a certain point. When it hit, when the average annual income hit about $75,000 a year, at that point, the graph plateaued. And they found that no matter how much more than about $75,000 a year that you make, your happiness no longer increases. And so it shows that, you know, there is a way in which money can actually make our lives better. We need roofs over our heads. We need food. We need money in the bank account. When we have kind of those basic necessities in place, our level of personal comfort and personal fulfillment, in a way, on a day-to-day basis, increase. But what we also find is that there comes a point at which money can do no more. It hits a peak, and it can't go any higher. So this is what Jesus is talking about today. He's talking about money, and he's talking about riches. By some counts, Jesus actually talks about the danger of money and wealth more than he talks about anything else in the New Testament. In fact, he talks about it all over the place. It's in parables. It's in his teachings. It's in sermons. All throughout the New Testament, you will find that the danger of money and the danger of riches and wealth is a real hazard. And so that's what we're talking about today. Now, Jesus is is speaking to his disciples here. He's turned away from, well, he hasn't turned away. The rich young ruler has left. And so he turns to his disciples and says, look, it is really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is so hard that it's like a camel trying to enter through the eye of a needle. You get that picture, right? A camel, very big, needle, small, eye of a needle, even smaller. Now, Jesus spoke hyperbolically, as he did, as he is doing here in this passage, but he's basically saying, look, this is a really, really difficult thing. And he's, he's going against what the disciples kind of thought, because in their minds, actually, it's the rich who have the advantage, because the rich are the ones who have been blessed by God. So it's easy for them to get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Maybe it's the poor, those in poverty, who are going to have a harder time. But Jesus kind of flips the script. So we're talking about the danger of money this morning. And we're going to do that by touching on three different aspects of it. Number one, the source of money. Number two, the measure 
of money. What does money measure? And then number three, the aim of money. What is the purpose of money? What, what is its goal? And as we walk through each of these, what we are going to see is that the way the Christian responds to each of these questions should differ drastically from the way that the world responds to these kinds of questions. But before we do that, I want to answer a couple of quick opposition, a couple of oppositional type questions that people may have right out of the gate, because I I think these pop up in our minds fairly often. The first would be, okay, talking about riches, talking about wealth. Uh, Have you looked at my bank account recently? Because neither of those words apply to me. Um, Maybe you're someone who would not self-describe as that way. In most cases, that's probably most of us. But the reality here is that what Jesus is addressing, and what we're going to find out, is that this is not primarily about how much money you make in any given year. It's not about how you're investing, how your stocks are doing, or anything like that. It is primarily, fundamentally, a heart issue. So if you are a human being, and you have a heart, which I think most of you meet those requirements, This passage is for you. Jesus has something here for you. It's not as if he is speaking only to those in a particular tax bracket, right? He has everyone kind of in mind here. And the interesting thing about that is that we tend to think sometimes that uh, poverty is more virtuous than being rich, right? We tend to think that, okay, well, maybe like a, a monk who is alone in his cell and shunning all of the things of this earthly world, that person has really, you know, they're really doing well, whereas a rich person is much easier to fall into the trap of riches, right? Well, the reality is that both of those are the case. There is a danger of spiritual pride in both of those. In fact, it says in the book of Proverbs, this is Proverbs 30, verse 8b through 9, Solomon speaking, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. So he's saying there are, there's a ditch to fall into on either of these. So that is kind of the, the first question is that Jesus has something to say to here. Wherever you find yourself on that bracket between poverty and and riches, okay? Second question that I believe comes to mind is, okay, is Jesus saying that it is a sin to be rich? Are riches a sin? So this is, a, this is something that is actually taught. There are places that, that teach that Scripture tells us this, but the short answer is no. Nowhere in Scripture does it call being rich or having wealth or being wise with your investments a sin. That is not the case. Instead, what Paul tells Timothy is he says, look, it is the danger of riches. It is, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So it's not money in and of itself. It is the love of money. And it is the way that the human heart tends to cling very tightly to money. There's a, a book by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Hobbit. Anybody familiar with this book? Good. Um, In this book, there is a character by the name of Smaug, the dragon. And he typifies this attitude to a T. 
Smog is, he spends all of his time in this cave, and he's been there for about 150 years. And he's decimated this town. He's taken all of their wealth. And so all he does is spend his time basically sleeping on mountains of coins and rubies and, and gold and all of this stuff. And he doesn't use any of it. He just simply sits there and he hoards it. And the love of money has come to capture his heart. So much so that when Bilbo sneaks in and takes just one little, one little cup from that giant hoard, he knows like to an ounce how much he has. And he goes after him. He searches, searches him out, tries to destroy him. So this is the sort of thing we're talking about when we mention the love of money. There's a quote from John Calvin. He says it like this. He says, it is scarcely possible for those who have a great abundance of things to avoid becoming intoxicated by them. It is scarcely possible for those who have a great abundance of things to avoid becoming intoxicated by them. I think this is very true. It's hard not to fall under the spell of our riches, of money in order that we to the point where we go after them that they become what we what we love and treasure more than anything else so is being rich a sin no being rich is not a sin it is the love of riches that is being addressed here so detour over kind of back to our main course what is the source of riches what is the measure of riches what does riches tell us about ourselves and then what is the aim what is the end goal of riches so the source of riches, the source of money. If you were to ask the average Joe on the street, where did your money come from? Where did your trust fund come from? Where did your investment come from? What is the source of all of that? The most common answer you're probably going to get is some version of, well, I worked for it. I earned it. I put my blood, sweat, and tears for 30 years to this company. And so as a result, as a direct result of that, I have money. In other words, I am the source of it. The idea of a self-made man is a very popular one in our day and age, right? Someone who kind of built their own empire from the ground up. Now, Scripture has something very different to say about that. And I'm going to read you what James says. This is James 1.17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. From the Father of heavenly lights. The source of everything that we have is not us. It is God. In that sense, we are simply stewards of what he's given us. We are not owners of anything. Everything is gift. Everything we have, everything we think that we quote-unquote own is gift given to us by God temporarily to be stewards of and to take care of. Another token reference here. Third book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Return of the King. There's a character here called the, the Steward of Gondor. And Gondor is, is a big, powerful kingdom, and for many years they haven't had someone who is of royal blood on the throne. So in the meantime, what they do is they have 
a steward on the throne. A steward is, is to be there. He is to take care of the people. He is to watch over all of the riches, and it's his job to kind of, you know, do the job of the king temporarily until the king comes. But what's happened with the steward of Gondor, as he has become so enamored of riches and money that he has come to think of it as his own, to the point that when the rightful heir does show up, he won't vacate the throne to him. You see, that's what happens when we come to think of ourselves as owners rather than just stewards. Because the reality is that everything in life that we have, that we think we hold title to, the reality is that we don't. It's all on loan. It's all on loan from God. Right? We are renters, not owners in that sense. So that's the, the source of riches. Talk about the measure of riches. What, what, what does money measure? What does money tell us about ourselves and others? Well, an awful lot. If we're being honest, in our world, there are particular circles you can be in where if you attend a conference, for example, you may as well not have your name on your name tag. You may as well just have like a live feed of the, of the balance in your bank account. Because you are considered oftentimes no more than what you make, than how much your assets are, than your possessions. This is who you are. It's not just something you, you own. It's become a part of your identity, right? Human beings are, are, are really good at this. We, we love to measure where we're at. We love to have metrics to measure where we are at relative to others. And money in particular is a very dangerous way that we do this. We use money as a way to, uh, to divide and to, to measure where we are worth relative to other people. And so you hear this term like white trash, for example. It's an unfortunate term. It's, it's a slur. It's derogatory not just against a particular race, but against people of particular social economic status. This is a prime example of the way that money comes to identify not just what we do or how much we make, but who we are. Before we moved back to Minnesota, we were in, uh, my wife and Marigold and I were in New Jersey for about five years in Princeton. And one of the joys for me at Princeton Princeton's like an Ivy League school. And so for me, I would show up there on campus and just be like, you know, like a, a farm kid from Minnesota getting to, to go out to the East Coast elite sort of thing and, and walk around. And, 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 and Princeton was an area where there was a lot of affluence. There was a lot of money just going around. And my favorite part of going to, to the Princeton campus was the seminary library, Okay. The seminary library at Princeton, you're going to just roll your eyes, but I think it's cool. The seminary library is the largest, second largest theological library in the world next to the Vatican. I know, I know. Try to calm yourselves, right? But to me, this was really cool. It was also dangerous because I would come home with six or seven books every single week. My wife and I had to have some discussions about that. Um, but the thing was, whenever I walked into the doors of those hallowed halls, I felt unworthy. I felt it the first time I walked in there, and I just never got over it. Because in my mind, this is a place where some of the greatest theologians of all time have spent time. 
Carl Barth did work there. Jonathan Edwards, Warfield, Hodge, like all of these really huge names. And who am I? This kind of a farm boy from Minnesota. What right? Do I even deserve to be able to walk in here and use these resources? Well, here's the thing. Jesus kind of shakes up the tables on that. I'm going to read for you Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And it goes like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And guys, you know what that means? That means all of these barriers between master and slave, between Jew and Gentile, barriers, these ways of dividing each other, Jesus comes to knock them down. Because there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. See, your bank account, if you are a believing, baptized child of God, what this verse just said is that your bank account does not determine your worth. Christ does. Your bank account does not determine your worth. Christ does. So that's a little bit about the measure of money. What does money So lastly, let's talk about the aim of money. What is the goal of money? What is the purpose of money? Well, again, if you were to ask Joe Average on the street, what's the purpose of money? What, you're seeking after riches. You want to do well. Why? What's the purpose? To what end? The answer that you would likely get, though maybe not spoken in this way, is happiness. The pursuit of happiness. If I make enough money, if I make sufficient funds where my children and family and everyone can be all covered and myself as well, then I will be happy. You see, riches, money becomes a means to an end. So the reality is that for someone who is not a Christian, that's all that money is. It provides a means to satisfaction and to fulfillment. But here's the thing. The answer that a Christian gives or should give is drastically different from this. Because a Christian is one who has discovered in Jesus Christ all of the riches and treasures of heaven and earth and therefore has no ultimate need of anything else. And you see, that frees us. That frees us from using money as a means to pursue our own happiness, and instead it becomes a means where we can love our neighbors. Money for the Christian is not a means to pursue our own happiness, our own fulfillment, but it becomes a means for us to love our neighbors. Now, if you're anything like me, Something, some voice at the back of your mind is, is maybe saying, well, yeah, but here's the thing. The reason I work so hard is for my family. Like The reason I'm seeking to, to build up that equity and to invest wisely 
is for my family. I want to take care of them. I want to make sure that they are covered. And absolutely, we need to affirm this. We need to say, yes, this is a good, this is a noble thing. God calls us to love our neighbors, right? Who are your nearest neighbors? It's your family. They're right there with you. God calls you to provide for them. But we also know that the human heart, as Jeremiah said, is wicked beyond measure. Who can understand it? And that means that our motivations are oftentimes mixed. And so money is important, but it certainly is not everything. I'll read you a, a quote from an early church father from the 5th century. And I heard this, and when I heard it, I was cut right to the heart. He said, There is no compelling necessity for you to store up large treasures for your children. You would do better to make your off offspring treasures of God than make them richer in worldly goods. You would do better to make your offspring treasures of God than anything else. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. I'm going to read this to you. You can turn there with me now if, if you want. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. Otherwise, let's read this together on the screen. Please read this with me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In humility, consider others above yourself, not equal to. Consider others better than you, not because they are better than you. Everyone in God's eyes is, is beloved on an equal level, but consider and treat others as if they are better than you. In other words, deep, deep sacrifice is required for this. Because as you go on to read in this passage, this is what Jesus did for us. Is He left all the riches of heaven behind to come and to die on a cross, to sacrifice not just His money, but His life for you and for me. Another early church father by the name of John Chrysostom, he said this, and I thought it was so good. He says, not to share our wealth is deprivation from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. In other words, not to share, not to be generous of heart is essentially breaking one of the Ten Commandments of stealing. Do not steal. So, Kind of reviewing, wrapping up the three different things we've spoken of. Money, the purpose of money. The, excuse me, the source of money. The world would say, well, money is for me, whereas Christians would say the source is God. The measure of money. The non-Christian, the, the world would say, well, money is a measure of my net worth, whereas the Christian would say my worth is in Christ alone. And then finally, the purpose of money. As Christians, we are freed from having to use money to pursue happiness and instead can use it as a means to love our neighbors. If you've been hearing all this and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't. I don't always do that. 
In other words, if you're like me and these words cut you to the heart, that is actually a good thing. Because that means that the law of God is doing its work. When we feel that way, when we sense that not enoughness, when we sense and we hear this command that this is what I should do, but I'm not doing it, that is a good thing because what that does is it pushes us to Jesus. It pushes and it prods and it pokes us to Jesus. The law is good insofar as it leads us to Jesus Christ. And what is the good news here today, friends? This is it. If you only remember one thing, remember this. It is God's generosity and not our own that qualifies us for the kingdom. It's God's generosity, not our own, that qualifies us for the kingdom. However much we give, whatever percentage, however good of a people we are, that is not what qualifies us for the kingdom. It is God's generous, loving, fatherly heart for you and for me. And that doesn't change. That does not change. You see, he sent Jesus to save us from our own tight-fisted hearts. He paid our ransom, and Jesus didn't withhold even a drop of his own blood. So, if you find yourself, along with myself and the disciples, saying, Who then? My hope and my prayer is that the words of Jesus would ring louder and truer than that. You're right. Can't. With God, though, this is possible. With man, this is impossible. But all things are possible with God. Hey, friends. Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.